Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Josh Noble and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. As part of its trade war with the US, China has threatened to restrict exports of rare earths. This group of 17 obscure minerals on which the military and tech industries depend are overwhelmingly produced in China. Katie Martin discusses how the world came to be so dependent on one country for such an essential part of the industrial supply chain with Lucy Hornby and Henry Sanderson. So, Henry, first of all, what exactly are these rare earths? So rare earths are a group of 17 rather obscure minerals with funny names. They're not actually technically geologically rare, but China has sort of amassed a dominant position in the world's production of them. But they are critical an integral part of modern life, and they're used in everything from our mobile phones to satellite surveillance, in the oil industry, even emergency rooms and in scanners. So life as we know it couldn't really continue without them. And they are suddenly thrust into the spotlight, right? I mean, how have the markets reacted to China's threat here? Markets have reacted very quickly, and both the prices for some rare earths have shot up, but also share prices for Rare earth companies listed in China have gone up a lot. And also some companies outside China, for instance, there's two listed in London. Share prices for those companies have gone up a lot. So the market is reacting very quickly and hopeful that you know rare earth producers will see the benefits of higher prices, I guess, immediately. So, Henry, I mean, give us some examples. You know, I'm wandering around with my mobile phone. You know, has that got this stuff in it? In what sort of ways does it touch our daily lives? Yeah, so your Apple iPhone does have lots of rare earths in. You know, when it vibrates, that's actually a little motor that contains rare earths. And there's rare earths in the speaker, in the camera. And, you know, Apple has paid a lot of attention to this. And I was looking at their report the other day, and they said, you know, recycled supply of rare earths is not widely available. So rare earths are critical to a lot of technology. But really what people are focused on is rare earth magnets. And that's because... That's the growth area because electric cars use these powerful magnets in their electric motors and also they're used in wind turbines. So if you look at industries that are growing quickly, that's where people are paying a lot of focus. And also because China has not only a dominant share in producing rare earths, but also producing these magnets. They have over 90% share in these magnets. So these future industries are becoming very reliant on China. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, how did China manage to make itself so dominant here? And is there anything other countries can do to step up production in the event that supplies are withheld? There is some production outside China, and there are some emerging projects. But the problem has been capital, getting investment, and also competing with China on cost, because China has the scale. It's traditionally been lower cost because of labour and environmental reasons. But also the last time a crisis over rare earths erupted, a lot of people got burnt by new projects. A lot of investors got burnt. So the question this time around is, who's willing to put up the money? Can you compete with China? And also, will consumers pay a premium for non-China supply? This is a huge question in the market, which is, you know, are consumers willing to pay more to guarantee their supply chains aren't dominated by China? And so would it be possible for China to target only the US or will this inevitably sweep other countries into the mix? China has a huge dominant share in the processing and the production of rare earth products. Most rare earths produced by China are consumed within China. So it'd be hard for China to just target rare earth exports to the US because they're in a lot of different different products and it'd probably harm 
Japan and other countries it doesn't want to harm. But China could cut off, for instance, exports of magnets, which would be hugely detrimental to supply chains and industries. So this has just raised the whole spectre of China's dominance over these supply chains. How easy would it be for another supplier just to step into the breach, you know, and replace China? People are looking at starting up production, but it's not as simple as just finding a rare earth mine, digging it up. You know, it needs to be separated, processed, and that can be environmentally damaging. So you need to get the environmental permits. It needs to be processed, separated, and then put into products. So it is quite a long supply chain. Someone like Apple will be quite a few steps removed from the actual mine. And I think people are just waking up now to China's dominance on this sort of intermediate section of the supply chain, which is the processing, which can be energy intensive, can use acid. You know, and the West just hasn't built these things, partly because, as I said, environmental permits and things like that. But as a result, we've woken up and China, you know, has huge dominance in this area. And we kind of didn't see it coming, right? I think that's true. I think, you know, in the era of globalization in the 80s and 90s, people in America were willing to ship all this stuff to China because they thought, well, we don't want the environmental liabilities and it's more efficient for them to do it at a lower cost. And that was the whole theory of how markets work, right? But as a result, in this era where trade and other things are a weapon, these are vulnerabilities. So, Lucy, I mean, thinking of this Chinese dominance, was this a strategic decision or was there a bit of luck involved? I think it was a bit of luck, really. I mean, back in the 80s, China was looking to export anything they could to get hard currency. And so they had a lot of this stuff. It's pretty toxic and it's not that difficult to mine. So that's a combination that really lends itself well to all sorts of wildcat miners who don't have a lot of environmental or necessarily health protection around the people who work for them. So all of a sudden, China was just producing tons of this stuff at a lower price than anybody else. And so it swept into the markets there and pushed the few other mines that there were out of business. The other issue is that China initially was just exporting this as a raw material And you still had a lot of processing going on in Japan, Korea, other Asian nations. But there was a face-off starting around 2006 and going through about 2010, 2011, where China and Japan were at odds. And during that time, China's attempt to cut raw material supply to Japan ended up meaning that a whole lot of the processing industry moved here to China. So it's really a case often of unintended consequences. What is it that's provoked China into making its latest threat to restrict exports? Is this a threat that we should take seriously or is it a bit of posturing? I think there's a lot of posturing and a lot of overreacting whenever you get a situation where you have a super specific industry and a lot of defense strategists weaving theories around it. So China is posturing a bit partly because They don't have necessarily as many retaliation measures against the U.S. as the U.S. does against China. So this one then looks very, very tempting. It's very satisfying for nationalists in China to say, hey, you know, we can really hit you where it counts. But you also have Chinese nationalists and environmentalists and patriots who are pushing for rare earths exports to be stopped so that the environmental damage can be reduced. You know, they're very conscious of the fact that China takes it on the teeth for the sake of these consumers in the rich world or even in rich cities in China. And so some of them feel 
that if they could only reduce the exports, they could also stop some of the really damaging mining that's going on. Meanwhile, guaranteed, people in the defense industries and strategic sectors in the U.S. will immediately go into hyperdrive over it as well. And then in between, of course, you have a lot of speculators, you know, people who want to whip this up to get extra money from trading in these markets because they're very small and very illiquid markets. So I think there's a bit of real threat and there's a whole lot of posturing and hype. How has China used this dominance in rare earths and disputes before? And do you think this might be something that is an increasingly common tool that's available to them? Well, I think you've seen ever since Donald Trump took office, you've seen a willingness by the U.S. to use trade as a political and diplomatic weapon with other countries. Now, this is something that China does have a habit of doing. But I think when the U.S. does it so overtly, it allows China to really double down as well. Is this a riskless exercise on the part of China? I mean, what would be the risk to China itself of putting this threat into practice? Well, there's a couple of risks. I mean, one is the law of unintended consequences. So, you know, you threaten to cut off the raw material and then you get a lot of other people enthusiastic about starting mines elsewhere, you lose your monopoly. Another thing that has happened in the past is when China has made these threats or even when China has adopted policies to reduce its exports, what ends up happening is it helps catapult China up the value chain. That's positive if what you care about is China's industry and the value added of that industry. It's negative if what you care about is trying to limit the extremely toxic mining practices because it just increases the demand for this stuff. And of course, it's negative internationally because it leads to these very aggressive, very aggravated international disputes. And, you know, in a climate like this, you just really don't want to play with that fire. That was Katie Martin, Capital Markets Editor, talking to Henry Sanderson, Commodities Correspondent, and Lucy Hornby, Deputy Bureau Chief in Beijing. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the fall of Britain's answer to Warren Buffett, the return of Peronism in Argentina, or Brazil's expanding role in cosmetics, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.